0: This is Dispatches from the Frontline. Readings from the diary of Sister Nan Ray, who served for four gruelling years on the front line of the battlefields of World War I. Read by Geraldine cook Daphne.
1: 14th of September, Monday. This eventful day started with a 4.30am message that we were to expect a trainload of wounded at 5.30. We sprinted. However, nothing happened until 7.30am, when they began to arrive by field ambulances from the station. As the schoolrooms, just at the back of the Dufresh abode, were ready, we received them there. The schoolrooms are large rooms, a series of four in line, opening one into the other. The Australian Voluntary Hospital had commandeered them, and cleaned and whitewashed them in readiness. There were about 90 wounded, I think. At 8.30, I left my nice, tidy hospital wards, and with the two other night nurses, volunteered for further duty in the schoolrooms. Most of the day nurses and orderlies were already there, and we worked frantically. One after the other, the stretchers streamed in. The wounded on them too terrible and filthy for words. They have mostly come from Soissons, and there are about 20 German prisoners among them. I find there is nothing to choose between the damage done on either side. It is all horrible. These men have had only first field dressings applied and have travelled for two days and nights, mostly lying on straw in cattle trucks. There are not many ambulance trains yet. Their clothes are caked with mud and blood. They are unwashed and unshaven, and their wounds are foul. First, of course, tea, or bovril, and bread and butter all round, as soon as they were laid on the beds and covered with blankets. Then undressing, washing, and dressing of wounds. Every one worked marvellously. It was just going from one case on to the next. The worst first, of course. I worked frantically with a German for an hour. But he died. Right leg shot off, gangrene, exhaustion. At 1pm, after 21 hours, we night nurses were ordered off duty and as we left the turmoil, we suddenly remembered that we had not yet breakfasted. 2pm, to bed. But a transport had come in and the men sang as they marched past up to the rest camp. They were all so fresh and bright and new. As I watched them, I remembered what their return would probably be and found my mind working in circles. Asking, why? "'Went to sleep at about four o'clock "'and knew no more until we awakened at 9.30 p.m. "'A great scramble and we rushed on duty without dinner, "'found the schoolrooms looking more orderly. "'Gabrielle in charge by day and I by night. "'I have Sister Buckham with me and three orderlies. "'These orderlies are perfect bricks. "'One of mine is a clergyman, "'throat trouble having necessitated "'his giving up his work temporarily.' Another is one of Professor Berry's special proteges, just returned from an Australian university, and a third is a nephew of George and George's, Melbourne. All our orderlies are educated men, many medical students among them, two young barristers, two clergymen, and three of other professions. We have four Oxford men who are doing some special work in connection with the Morvan Mission at Canning Town. All of these people have been scooped up by Lady Dudley to act as stretcher bearers and general rouseabouts. They do the nasty tasks they are so unaccustomed to just wonderfully. I am altogether lost in admiration of them. 15th of September, Tuesday. I am sitting in the room containing most of the Germans. Fifteen of them. It is 5am and after a night of tramping about with a lantern, I find it good to have a few moments rest. I am so tired that I am writing to keep awake. I always bring along my diary so that I can write when I sit down for a while. Have just been reading letters from home that reached me early last evening there are great rumours abroad of our probable sudden move. Seems rather a pity to give up this place so well arranged now, but our proper place is nearer the front. We want wounds less than three and four days old to tend, and as soon as the authorities will allow us, off we go. Just, there is a man who has almost lost the look of a human being. One of our bullets got him on one side of his face, passed right through and came out the other, smashing up everything en route. Many of the patients sleep heavily in spite of awful wounds, but others... (sighs) Ever so many have been to the operating theatre today. Dozens of bones have been set, trephines done and there is a very bad pneumonia and a British corporal with a quite hopeless peritonitis. My special care. He has a spine wound too, but is so patient and grateful. Says I make the most wonderful cocoa in the world, (laughs) and that I am a mother to him. So uncomfortable. So weary to death, yet thankful for the smallest service, and always ready to smile, though his face is so grey and drawn. 16th of September, Wednesday. Came off duty 9am. Rather tired. After a huge breakfast, in spite of heavy rain, we decided to go for a walk. No umbrellas, but Max and oil silk hats. <laughs> Very nice too visited the markets and were tremendously interested in the quaint chattering medley. All the women here wear the prettiest caps or bonnets, however poor they may be, made of fine muslin and sometimes exquisite lace. They are always so fresh and dainty and new looking, these bonnets. I wonder how they keep them so. The streets around the markets were moving seas of umbrellas, as the women never wear hats and must protect their muslin and lace. Sometimes they tie large white handkerchiefs over their confections. And they know how to bargain. (laughs) Such a chattering. Outside sat the fishwives with their odoriferous wares, including all kinds of horrid things in shells, live crabs too. On our way back in the pouring rain, we passed a column of Tommy's plodding along from the docks to the camp. We returned their salutations continually, and when a battalion of Highlanders swung along, one of them stepped out of the ranks and gravely handed me his brooch badge with the word Seaford inscribed on it. Good luck and safe return to you all. Had only three hours sleep but after an enormous dinner came on duty feeling very fit. Poor old Gabrielle has had a very heavy, worrying day and feels... anyhow. I do hope all this will not be too much for her. If only some of those other beggars on the staff would have more consideration and... never mind. Found the wards much more settled. Dr. Rennell from Sydney and others seem to have been busy all day in removing bullets while you wait. This is all been done in the wards. The bigger operations must go to the theatre. There were six major operations today, yesterday 15 in our little theatre. This morning my poor peritonitis corporal was operated upon in the ward to try and relieve him and they thought he might have a chance. But he collapsed. Another had two bullets taken out of his neck at 10.30 this evening. Dr R dug one out of a German's chest a little while ago. I hear that that unfortunate Irish boy, minus the eye, whose arm was amputated yesterday, developed tetanus last night, had the most agonising spasms which only chloroform would ease, and finally, after being under the anaesthetic all day, died At 6.38pm. Another brave boy gone. We have three different orderlies on tonight, two I have worked with before. They are all such good fellows. One has just been prowling about the kitchens and stores looking for something nice for supper... Among other things, he discovered a bottle of some especially sweet raspberry vinegar, and I have just had some, mixed with hot water because there was no cold boiled water. Awful stuff, really. 17th of September, Thursday. A glorious morning. So we nightbirds decided to go for a drive. Reckless extravagance. Most of the voiture and fiacre have been commandeered, but we managed to find one. Drove along the delightful Boulevard de l'Océan. The sea was splendid, so blue and sparkling. I gave the directions to our fat courier, and we did a tour of the Australian voluntary hospital, rest camp. And then did La Ville <laughs> We were an object of interest, and the people hung out of their windows to see us. Old men and women gave us their blessings, and we received many salutes from the French officers. Ended up by buying biscuits and fruit, and then went to bed one pm. I slept until four o'clock, then slept again till five thirty, and then on again till I heard Mac's voice in agitation, "Say, girls, it's dark! What's the time?" It was nine ten. And we would do on duty at nine o'clock. Such a scramble. We were not reprimanded. Glad you had such a decent sleep, was the verdict. Wards were fairly quiet again. Most of our patients are to be sent on board the Asturias at 7 a.m. tomorrow. Their next resting place will be Netley Military Hospital. A beautiful place just to the west of Southampton. We passed it on the way out. The French have a tremendous hate of the Germans. The wounded seem hardly safe sometimes. One officer told me that on the way down in the Red Cross train... An English officer was several times obliged to draw his revolver and threaten to shoot on the rabble that crowded around their carriage and made insulting remarks and threats to their wounded prisoners, including the man who had been shot through both jaws. I believe the crowd that gathers about our gates when the ambulances arrive is always quietly threatening when a German uniform appears. This afternoon, Dr. Rennell tells me... Some prisoners were being marched from the train when a French soldier pounced on one and shook him. One of our men happened to be about and he thrashed the Frenchman and was told by a French officer that he did quite right. Our cocher this morning held an animated conversation with me over the back of his high-box seat about les Allemands blessés. He said we were very good and kind to them but soon nous les finirons. We will finish them off. And drew his first finger across his throat and made a nasty sound. Pleasant person. 18th of September, Friday. A quiet night in the wards after a good day's sleep. Our patients all roused at 5am, sudden orders for them to evacuate, and I had a frantically busy time doing dressings. Did about 30 in one and a half hours. The cooks were up early and the day orderlies came in to help wash and dress the patients. By 7.30, most of our family was on its way to the hospital ship, bound for England, Germans included. It was a horrid wet day, but we had been told of some very good baths. So, filled with expectation and joyous anticipation and bearing along towels, sponges, soap, etc., we three nightbirds and Gabrielle started off to find them. We found the baths. Bien vrai. Saw them and said we would call again. Very disgusted. Returned to our room and bathed as usual in our little canvas baths. A very quiet night. Only 10 patients in the schoolroom and 8 in the hospital. So we all had some time off. I relieved Sister Mac from 9 till 1am, and then feeling very sleepy and delighted to have a chance of really sleeping in the dark, lay down from 1 till 5am. Did not sleep at all. Pure cussedness. Saturday, at 7am, the ambulances suddenly appeared without any warning and dumped 48 wounded all British this time, all so hungry and weary and, of course, all very dirty. However, none were very bad stretcher cases. A great bustle and off duty at 9.30. After breakfast, Sister Buckham, Gabrielle and I went for a glorious drive through the residential parts of saint Nazaire, along the Boulevard de L'Océan and through miles of camps. We were again an object of interest to the men, and though there were sentries posted everywhere, we were not questioned until we came to the Coast Guards, where a French sentinel pulled us up. Only a few words of explanation, a salute and en avance. It was a most intensely interesting drive, lasting an hour. Bed at one forty-five pm but very little sleep. As I write now at 11.30am, the wards are quiet. All these poor souls are so thankful to be sleeping in warm, clean beds. Their wounds dressed, they themselves washed and well fed, they declare they are in paradise. Five of them have been to the operating theatre, but they seem comfortable and happy enough. We have some fine snorers among this lot, a mixed crowd, Highlanders, Coldstream Guards and Irish Guards. Their dressings were last done on Tuesday and now it's Saturday. It is a cold, wet, wild night. The sea is roaring and every door and window in this queer, somewhat loosely built place creaks and rattles. Of course, ordinary patients would be most annoyed. A column of troops has just passed, on their way to the camps, I suppose. It is a curious sound, this heavy, regular tramp of many feet. They were whistling quite softly. To keep up their spirits and make them marching easier, I suppose.
0: Thank you for listening to Dispatches from the Frontline. This project was directed by Naomi Edwards, read by Geraldine Cook Daphna, original music and sound design by Zoltan Fecho, with producing support from Tristan Meacham and voice editing by Alex Daphna. The creative team gratefully acknowledges the support of the Victorian Government through the Community Support Fund and Public Record Office Victoria and Creative Victoria with Regional Arts Victoria through the Sustaining Creative Workers Initiative supported by all the Queen's men. We would like to thank the Selman family and in particular Meg Selman for allowing us to use Nan Ray's diary.